Tonight we are uh, in John chapter 14, so we're getting close to the end of the book. Uh, we've got uh, the way, the truth, and the life tonight, and then uh, we'll have one more um, I Am in the Gospel of John uh, next next week, and then we're going to find one more a little bit later in Scripture that we'll talk about the following week, so kind of a surprise, I Am. Um, and so uh, we're in John 14. Um, tonight, the, the primary verse is verse 6, but we're going to back all the way up to, to verse 1 um, and uh, begin reading there. So if you have your Bible, we'll open up to John chapter 14, and, uh, and we'll begin in verse 1. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have, been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Alright, so that's our, our passage for tonight, and we're going to kind of break it down like we did last week, looking at these three different uh, sections of it. The first one being, uh, I am the way. Okay, so, so Jesus says that I am the way. And one thing we need to remember here is that uh, what is the setting that Jesus has this discussion in. Anybody know where, where, the, where are the Jesus and the disciples when he says this? They're in the upper room, right? And so this is the uh, this is the, the Last Supper. Uh, Jesus has they've gathered together. He's uh, washed the disciples' feet um, already. You know, Jesus has been leading up to this point, talking about the Son of Man is going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed. He's going to be killed, but I'm going to rise again on you know, the third day. He's been kind of communicating this to him. Um, you have to believe that you know, as the week wore on and Jesus knew he was getting closer to the point of death, that his spirit, you know, his, uh, his countenance would start, start reflecting that. He probably, probably wasn't just happy-go-lucky you know, the closer he got to, to the cross. And then he gets to, um, uh, to this Lord's Supper. He begins talk, going through the process, which was already kind of a solemn moment um, and uh, he, uh, he, port he, he predicts a betrayal verse 18 I'm not referring to all of you I know those I have chosen but this is to fulfill the scripture he who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me and so he, uh, he talks about a betrayal so there's going to be one who betrays him um, then he also predicts Peter's denial and so he you know Peter says I'll never betray you and Jesus says look before the rooster crows in the morning you're going to betray me three times 
And so all this is kind of a, Jesus is kind of playing Debbie Downer here at the end of the, the Lord's Supper. You know, he's telling them some things that are kind of hard to swallow, some things that they don't really understand. They're still confused. They haven't put all the pieces together yet. And so they get to the end of the Lord's, of the Last Supper, and it's just kind of like, oh, man, this is, this is hard. I don't know if we can handle this. Let's, how about next year when we do the Passover? Let's not make it quite so dreary, Jesus. You know, let's do a better job next year. And so that's kind of why Jesus says, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. You know, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust in me. And he's trying to, this is kind of an encouraging thing right here. You know, hey, don't, don't be troubled. Don't be bothered by these things. Yeah, these things are going to be bad for a moment, but don't be, don't be bothered for these, by these things. And then he points their attention to something beyond the moment. You know, he says, hey, if you look like this, all you're going to see is trouble. But I want, you to, I want you to take the blinders off and let's look at the big picture for a moment. I'm going to be going. Yes, that's a bad thing. Or that's, at least in your opinion, that's a bad thing. But I'm going to get a place ready for you. I'm going to the Father. And we are going to prepare the place to which we're going to take you when this life is over. So, you know, he said, hey, this should be an encouraging thing. And I'm going to a place and, and you know how to get to this place. That's when Thomas says, hey, wait, 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 I didn't get the map. Can you, can you Google Earth this for me so that I know how to get there? Because I didn't get, maybe all the other guys got the map, I didn't get the map. And, and so, uh, so Peter sa- or, or Thomas says, how, how are we going to know the way? And that's when Jesus says this I am statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus says, Peter, you are looking at what you need to see. You don't need a map. You don't need directions. You know you don't need me to drop a pen and send it over to you. You have it right here, exactly what you need. You just look at me. As long as you're looking at me, you will never get lost. That's basically what Jesus is saying. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So let's look at um. Let's look at I am the way. Okay. And so the first question is the way to where. And so Jesus answers that to heaven and the Father. This discourse that he's talking about right here. It's talking, telling the disciples that when this life is over, you know, there's going to be a place that you have to go, and I'm going to the Father so I can prepare that place for you. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the way. The way where? The way to heaven and to the Father. So there's the ultimate destination. Um, you know, there's a, there's a destination that we are going to. And so he is the, uh, he is the way to heaven and the Father. And Jesus is always direct, directing us in the destination that we are supposed to go. Um, in the Gospels, uh, there are 23 mentions of Jesus saying, follow me. Okay, so that was a theme throughout Jesus' ministry. Whenever he went up to a disciple or somebody who's a potential disciple, what did he say? He said, hey, leave your tax tables and follow me. Hey, leave your boats and follow me. You know, leave, you follow, you follow me wherever I'm going to go. And in fact, we even have examples of him t- telling some people, hey, follow me. And they say, well, I need to go bury somebody real quick. No, you either follow me or you don't. You know, or I, I need to go and do this or that. No, you just need to follow me. And so Jesus is calling them out to follow him. Now, some of these in the Gospels, some of these are the same stories mentioned in multiple Gospels. But there's 23 times throughout those four books where uh, it's written down that Jesus tells somebody, follow me. And so um, he, uh, he, he's always calling them out uh, to, to go somewhere. Okay, And so that, he never tells them where they're going. He just says to follow him. Okay. Have you ever, have you ever been going somewhere in two different vehicles, and uh, you say, "Well, how do we get there?" And what does that person say? Oh, just follow me. You ever followed somebody who's not a good leader? <laughs> yeah. I'm. I'll, this is confession time. I'm not a good uh, follow me person. Like me in front, and you behind me, because 
you, you know those annoying people in Dallas that like find a find a spot that big and their car is that big and they they cut through it real quick. Yeah, guilty right here. Okay. Um, I'm I'm not quite that bad, but but I you know I like to I like to get around some people and you know get on scooter on and all that kind of stuff. The only problem is, um, if you're behind me, it's a little bit hard to do that. One time I was leading a group, um, and we were uh, I'm trying to think where oh we, it's when this is a long time ago. So it's when we were I was still serving at a church in in Sherman, and uh, we were taking a group down to one of like you know bowling alley kind of thing in Plano and they were driving a van and I was driving my little two-door car and um, I kept you know doing that you know find a little spot and everything and then I finally realized oh they're like way back there because they can't get that little van those little spots they knew where we're going so it was okay I printed them out a map but see Jesus didn't print a map he didn't say this is the final destination he said hey you follow me you get behind me as long as you follow me you're going to get to where you need to go Jesus is the way uh, you know we're wired to where we want a map to get us where we're wanting to go. We want that way charted for us. And Jesus said, it's already been charted. If you just follow me, the final destination, you're finally going to, you're going to eventually get to the final destination. It may not be a straight line, but if you follow Jesus, you'll always get there. And Jesus never promises that following will be easy. In fact, he says exactly the opposite. If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And, uh, and so to those disciples, um, that would be that would be like Jesus saying, "Hey, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself, take up his Islamic execution squad, and follow after me." I mean, whenever a whenever a Christian in uh, uh, northern Pakistan or Afghanistan or northern Iraq reads this passage, that's what that's what he thinks. He thinks that means if I have to go and witness, you know, if, if ISIS catches me um, and they ask me if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ with a sword at the back of my neck, then I have to say yes. I mean, that's what they say, and that's a reality for them. Um, you know, and so we, we have to realize that that's what, that's what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to die in order to follow him. If anyone, you know, if a man wants to uh, save his life, he'll lose it. If he wants to lose his life, he'll save it. Um, and so if he loses it for my sake, he will, he will find it. And so Jesus never promises that following him is going to be easy. In fact, he says exactly the opposite, but he still calls us to follow him. Now, David, there's kind of an interesting parallel that we're going to see here in Psalm chapter 1, the first three verses of Psalm 1. David says this exact same thing in his first three verses. And so you see there, Psalm 1, 1, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. David recognized that there was a right and a wrong way to walk. You don't just kind of stumble through life or peruse your way through life. There is a right way and there is a wrong way that we are called to walk. And he begins he begins the book of Psalms with that. You know, you know, who knows if that was the first psalm he ever wrote? Probably not. But this is the one that God wanted at the very beginning of Psalms. And so as you dive into the the wisdom of Psalms, God wants you to hear this very first thing. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. Uh, stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. And so that is the way in which we're supposed to walk. And if you follow that, then you will be walking in uh, the right way. Um, and so if you flip that around to where it was positive, it would be something like, Blessed is the one who walks in step with the righteous, uh, who sits uh, with righteous people, you know, or who sits with those who are obeying the Lord, um, who sits in the company of those who tell the truth or speak wisdom. 
You know, so that's the kind of things that we need to do to surround ourselves with, uh, with the correct doctrine. Okay, so Jesus is the way. Jesus also says, what? I am the truth. So he says, I am the way and I am the truth. Now, Scripture says that God's word is true. All right, so if you look at Scripture, now for us hearing that, we might be thinking that might be a duh statement. You know, none of us, there's probably not any of us in here who think whenever I read the Scripture, oh, I wonder if God was telling the truth on that one. You know, we're, whenever we read the Scripture, um, and, and listen, this is becoming more and more, you guys who believe Scripture is true, you are becoming more and more rare even in the church these days. There's a lot of people who read the church and they say, well, Jesus didn't mean that he was the way or the truth or the life. You know, he just meant for the, for the Jews he was that. You know, they try to rewrite Scripture. Um, but what we need to do is when we see it in Scripture, we take it at its face value. You know, we may recognize they, that it's a genre of literature, and you know, if it's apocryphal literature, well, apocryphal literature was usually uh, um, illustri- il- illustrate, illustrative. How do you say that? Somebody said that. That's right. Illustrative. Um, you know, it used images to portray a truth, and that doesn't always have to be taken necessarily literally. Uh, what it what it says specifically is, is going to happen in a certain way is going to happen that way. It just means that something is going to happen in a similar way. Um, but never, even at that, it could happen that way. You know, maybe that's God's way of just communicating it. Uh, poetry, you know, we don't really get it, but the Psalms, the Psalms is poetry. It's Hebrew poetry, so they actually have rhymes if you read it in Hebrew. Um, you know, it rhymes. That doesn't, you know, mean that that when the Lord spoke to David, he spoke he spoke in rhyme. I don't know. Maybe, maybe God could do that, right? If you wanted to, you think God spoke in rhyme? That'd be kind of cool. You know, if he thundered from heaven and it all was an iambic pentameter. Um, that, would be, that would be kind of neat. Um, but what we do know and what we believe here in, the, here in this room is that whenever the Bible says it, it's true. You don't have to try to figure out if it's true. You don't have to weigh it against some sort of outside source. Scripture is the source. And Scripture uh, is God's word and it's true. In John 17, 17, Jesus says this, just a couple of chapters over. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. And so scripture says, Jesus says it right here in this same sort of time frame, at the, at the very same night, sanctify them by the truth. And he says to the Father, your word is true. Okay, so scripture says that God's word is true. Now, scripture also says that Jesus is the word of God. If we flip all the way back to John chapter 1, John says, in the beginning, and this is taken from a few different verses, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Okay, so it's talking about this word. Okay, it doesn't identify the word yet. It just says that there's this word. Logos uh, is, is the Greek word there. So there's this logos word uh, that was with God, and this logos was God. So it was, so there is a divine, this divine logos, you know, the, the Greek word there. Um, it was with God, and it was God. So there's something that was present with God the Father, but that was also equal to God. So, okay, what's, what's John trying to say here? He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Okay, so now this word that was present with God in the beginning has put on skin. All right, so he's put on skin now. He has become a, a man. Um, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. So now he identifies that word man, that word has become a man, as being the Son of God, full of grace and truth. 
Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so John says that this word that became flesh was the only son of God and he was full of grace and truth. And then he identifies Jesus Christ as being the one who gives grace and truth. And so he is making a very clear statement that Jesus is the eternal present uh, with the Father, equal to the Father, Son of God. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and who is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. And so, so John in chapter 1, he lays it all out on the line. He says it in kind of weird language, but he makes a very logical case for Jesus being eternal, for Jesus being equal to God, for Jesus being God. Um, and so, uh, and, and he does it by equating him with the Word of God. And so, Scripture says that Jesus is the Word of God. And so, if the Bible, and remember, and the reason I picked these out is because these two are in the same book. So, this author, John, should have been having the same thought process all the way through his, his gospel. And so, in his gospel, he says that God's Word is true, and he says that Jesus is God's Word. This means that all of the truth, can be all of the truth of God can be found in that person of Jesus Christ. If God's word is true, and Jesus is God's word, then then all of God's truth can be found in Jesus. Jesus is the is the uh, the location of truth. Any anything that is true in life finds its foundation in Jesus Christ. And so that's something that we need to to realize. So whenever Jesus says, "I am the way and I am the truth." Then, then we're saying, you know, everything that is true is bound and, and built upon Jesus Christ. He uh, is the one who spoke, or who, who made existence come, who, who formed the, the earth and formed creation. Um, everything that has been created uh, was created by him, is what Paul says. And so everything that is true, every reality, everything um, that we know is, ba is, is built upon Jesus Christ. And so all of God's truth can be found in the person of Jesus now David recognized that meditating on God's truth was the appropriate response for a believer. He said, But those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, and then he's going to keep going. So, so far, David has said, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. And so he's. he's comparing those two things. He's saying, walk, you know, don't walk in this inappropriate way, but focus on God's Word. Dwell on God's Word. Live in God's Word. If you've ever read Psalm 119, I mean, it's, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, um, and it is completely about just loving God's, God's Word, loving the Bible. And you think about it, what, what scripture did David have to love? He had like Genesis, Leviticus, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You know, maybe some of the other writings there in the middle. How many of you love Deuteronomy? Like, meditated on it day and night? You love Le Leviticus numbers? I mean, some of those genealogies and census, man, that's some good stuff right there. You know, you know, just think about it. That's what David had to love. I mean, he had Genesis and Exodus too, yeah. But, but the part, a big chunk of what David loved was the law, you know, the law of God. And those things don't really get us excited. But that got David excited, so excited that he wrote the longest chapter in the scripture, all about loving, um, loving God's word. And if you're not, if you've ever wondered, uh, some of your older translation of, of scripture, uh, some of the newer ones leave this out, but in, in some of your older Bibles, 
uh, as you go through Psalm 119, you might see out to the side uh, this little word that says Aleph, a little word that says Bait, a little word that says Gimel, kind of at the top of every section. That's because um, uh, Psalm 119 is an acrostic psalm. And so the first, the first section, Aleph, that's A in Hebrew, all those lines started with A. The next one was B, all those lines started with B. And so that was a really artistic, poetic poem. So each section is a section of the Hebrew alphabet. It starts with that. So anyway, that's, that's free. You don't have to pay extra for that. Uh, and so David recognized that meditating on God's truth was the uh, appropriate response for a believer. And then Jesus said, I am the life. Now, we, we talked about this some last week. Um, we, I think I, I mentioned that uh, John uh, talks about life uh, far more than any of the other Gospels. Um, you can go back and look at your sheet from last week to see how many, what, what the breakdown was. But he, life is a theme throughout the Gospel of John. Uh, we see all that right there in, in John chapter 1, which we're going to look at two more times here. Um, life is something that, that John is really trying to draw out, and he connects it specifically with Jesus Christ. And so um, Jesus is equated with life throughout the Gospel of John, beginning in the very first chapter. Uh, it says, uh, read this part again, In him was the life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. And so uh, that imagery there that he finishes that section up with, you know, children, we gave the right, if we believe in Jesus Christ, we gained the right to be called a child of God. It says children born not of natural descent, um, but born of God. And so he uses that illustration of being born. I mean, when we think about being born, we think about new life, right? I mean, coming into the world, that, that life that is, you know, that, uh, you know, our babies came out screaming and crying. They didn't really have to spank them, you know. I don't know if that's just an old wives' tale, you know, like, Take a baby born and spanking them until they cry. We spank them until they cry now. Um, <laughs> isn't that right? We give God spankings? Preston said, Amen. Uh, he said, Don't spare that rod, Daddy. He said, He's a Bible believing kid. So. <laughs> uh, but you know, whenever we think about birth, we think about new life, right? You know, crying out and that, just that, that expression of life. Um, and uh, you know, if you've ever been in the in the in the room when a baby's born, I mean, you know, ours got their arms out and you know their their muscles are all tense because they're just you know it's like freedom, you know, something like that. And um, you know, I remember one of the first things we thought. I'll talk about Preston since he's in here. It's good to embarrass him tonight. You know, when he was first born, you know, he had long arms stretched out, legs stretched out, and he just ripped from top to bottom. You know, lean. You know, he's still lean, but just every muscle in his little body was tight. You know, and and he was doing his eyes like this. <laughs> and he was looking around. Of course, you can't see anything because they put the stuff in his eyes. But, you know, it was just like all of a sudden this brand new life had just exploded on the scene. And he was making his presence known. He wasn't quiet about it either. <laughs> and, um, and so that, that's kind of the picture that, that, you know, I'm sure is in John's mind here is that we're born. And also we've got this new life. We've been born of God. We're children of God. This new life has just exploded on the scene. And, um, and that's why he says, in him was life, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Um, 
And so we, he, is, he is equated with life in the Gospel of John. Another verse, 1 John 5.20. Um, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And so he doesn't, he doesn't say that Jesus Christ has eternal life. He says he is the true God, and He is eternal life. And so, if you want to know, you know, how do you get eternal life? You get Jesus. You know, if you if you want eternal life, then you need to go get Jesus. You don't learn about Jesus. You don't get close to Jesus. You get Jesus. You've got to be in Him, and He in you. That you know, both of those things happening at the same time. And when you get Jesus, you receive eternal life. You know, you accept Him as. Your Lord and Savior, in other words, you just put yourself completely under His authority. He belongs to you, and you belong to Him, and you receive His eternal life. And so Jesus is equated with life in the gospel, um, and Jesus is identified as the location of life in the New Testament. Okay, and so He is life. He's also kind of like a place where you can find life. John one four, which we've read a couple times tonight, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so that that specific word is there. In Him was life and the life was the light of men so if you want to find life you got to go find jesus because he's the container of life um you know it's like if, if if there was only if jesus uh was the only place in the world to find life you'd have to go find him so you have to go find jesus to retrieve true life and then paul picks up on this as well <clears throat> romans three twenty three: for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord so the gift of God is found in, in Jesus. And so it's not something that you can go get outside of Jesus. That salvation, that eternal life is found in Jesus. Paul also says that salvation is found in no one else. Only Jesus Christ. And so uh, Jesus is the identified as the location of life in the New Testament. And David finishes up Psalm 1-3 uh, recognizing that dwelling in the word of God leads to life. And so it says in verse 3, one uh, verse three that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither wherever whatever they do prospers and so if we put all those three verses together psalm 1 1 through 3 blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law or the word of the lord and who meditates on his word day and night that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose life does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And so David is saying that God is the way and the truth and he gives life. And so David's first psalm in, in, in the book of Psalms is just a foreshadowing of what we find in Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. That person is planted by streams of water. Whatever they do prospers. His leaf never withers. And so what a, what a great testimony for what we want ourselves to be, right? We want to have that life of Jesus Christ pouring out of us, producing His fruit. Um, you know, the, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. We want those things showing up in our life and being revealed in our life. And we find that as we look to Jesus. As we look to Him as the way, the truth, and the life for us in our own life. And so let that be an encouragement to you. You know, no matter what you're going through... Um, as, as we find, you know, some of these things we've mentioned with our prayer requests tonight, uh, some of the things that you may be going through at work, some of the decisions of the future that you may be looking at, um, you know, we don't always know what's around the corner. We don't always know what's around the bend or what's over the hill. Um, but we have to know that if we will look to Jesus all the time, he'll never, he'll never lead us astray. 
Um, you know, if you think all the way back to the Exodus, how did the how did the children of Israel know where to go? I mean, they had been in slavery for 400 years. They kind of lost the nomadic know-how, so to speak. You know, they were nomads for a long time, but over 400 years, you just kind of get used to being a resident slave kind of mentality. And now they find themselves, okay, we're out here in the wilderness and we're wandering around. We don't really know where to go. How do we know where to find food? How do we, you know, I don't know how to figure out where a good oasis is or whatever I'm looking for. Well, they had something to follow. They had a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. As long as they followed that, they would never, you know, they'd be able to find where they needed to go. And I think it's a telling testimony that they camped out in the place until when? Until the presence of the Lord left the tabernacle. And when that happened, it was time to pack up and get moving. And you followed the pillar until it stopped. You built the tabernacle and you set, set up camp. It's the same thing in our life. If we just, we want to know where we're supposed to go, we just look to Jesus. If he turns right, we turn right. If he turns left, we turn left. If he goes straight, we go straight. And so we follow him wherever he leads. And if we do that, then we will, always, we will get to the Father. Scripture gives that as a promise that we will, we will find the Father. And we'll find a place that, that Jesus has prepared for us. And uh, it's going to be a good place. I'll tell you what. Let me pray for us and we'll be done tonight. Lord, thank you for your love that never fails. Thank you that you are our way. You are the one who points the direction for our life. Um, Lord, just for uh, for every decision that we make, if we look to you, you, know, you, will, you will guide us and you will help us see the direction we're supposed to go. Lord, thank you that you are the truth, that we can read the scripture and we can know without a doubt that it is true today just, just as much as it was true uh, when it was written. Lord, thank you that it is the most true words that have ever been, been spoken or ever been written down in the history of mankind. And we thank you that we can trust in it. We thank you that this word has never failed uh, us, nor has it ever failed anyone in history. And uh, Lord, I pray that in, <clears throat> in society today, uh, even in the church, Lord, or I should say especially in the church, um, there is an attack on the uh, validity of your scripture. And I pray that we would find uh, in ourselves uh, a willingness to trust what it says uh, and a willingness to stand on that truth and defend that truth not that your word needs defending because it can defend itself but Lord that we would uh, speak up whenever somebody tries to run down the, the scriptures Lord thank you that you are the life and that if we follow you uh, and trust in you that we will never die Lord that's a promise that we have from you um, <clears throat> uh, that if we follow after you the, the resurrection and the life that uh, even though we may die here, Lord. We will live for eternity. We thank you for that promise. So I pray that we would just live in that truth and um, let it be the thing that motivates us every day as we wake up in the morning uh, and let it be the thing that calmly, calmly puts us to sleep at night. Uh, Lord, thank you for those that are here. I pray that you just pour your blessings out on them as they pursue you in their life. Lord, may we be a witness everywhere that we go uh, and may we uh, please you with every, every thought, every action, and every word that we speak. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.